how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. While living in Mexico City, John Grillo saw an opportunity to work on a film set, so he came on as a translator to work on a Disney film. While meeting the crew, he was drawn to the lifestyle. These days, he's a cinematographer known for Westworld, The Leftovers, Snowpiercer, Preacher, and various Michael Mann projects such as Luck, Miami Vice, Ali, and Collateral. In this interview, Grillo discusses what he learned from Michael Mann, how to see subtext in images, how filmmaking is actually like jazz, and what drew him to television along with the importance of paying attention and why you don't need film school. If you enjoyed this interview, join millions of viewers for the new YouTube video essay series, also called Creative Principles. Kind of was by happenstance. I was living in Mexico City, uh, I grew up in Mexico, um, and um, there was an opportunity to do a job on a film set. I was probably, you know, I was about 20 years old, uh, and um, just one thing led to another. I, there was a, a, an American film shooting in Mexico City, um, so it was a Disney film, it's a big production, and they needed somebody to translate, and that's how I got in as a translator. And uh, then one thing led to another. I just met all the crew and heard uh, about all their amazing stories working on films. And uh, the lifestyle, I think, is the first thing that drew me to it, uh, you know. And then uh, as I started working in film, I discovered and fell in love with the the uh, art of filmmaking, I'd say, as I started to learn and uh, basically film became my school, you know. Uh, I didn't go to film school, but I just did it, you know, and, and learned along the way and, and had the privilege of uh, eventually when I moved to L.A. working with uh, really great uh, cinematographers, um from which, uh, from whom I, I just learned so much, and uh, 
and it was just one after another uh, show. I did. I, I worked as a camera assistant for many years. I mean, I was a camera assistant on commercials, almost exclusively on commercials and music videos back in the heyday of music videos and MTV. And uh, I was working a lot, and I probably did about 10 years of that before I made the switch to working on films, uh, which really started for me when uh, I started working with Michael Mann as his camera assistant and eventually operator. Um, uh, that was a turning point for me working with him because uh, I just was blown away by the discovering the, the, the different layers in, in, in filmmaking, you know, I, I was really at that point had, had been doing 10 years of just visuals in terms of just what looks good, what looks nice, you know, like you normally do on music videos and commercials. It's just really, really cool shots and all of that. And once I, once I started working on films and particularly with, with Michael, um, I, I started, paying more attention to uh, the subtext in images and, 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 and how to create striking images that mean something in a, in a story, in a storytelling sense, you know? Uh, and so that was a big education for me. And I think it just took me to another level personally, you know, and, and I, I, I drew from that to eventually uh, make the jump uh, to cinematographer um, you know, at one point where I just realized, okay, I've, I've learned all this stuff now. I need to, I need to let it out. I need to get it out, you know, and, um, this is where I started shooting. Was there a point I'm, I'm always interested in, in career longevity. And I know when you're young, you kind of have to say yes to everything. Was there a point when you start to say no to things and then start to lean in one direction over another, and maybe even to make that jump into cinematography? You know, I was working, I don't know if this is related to your question, but I was working uh, on films as a camera assistant, on motion pictures. Uh, and um, I eventually really became a cinematographer in television. Now, back in the day, we used to look down on TV, right? When you worked on a film, you know, you worked on films, you know, I worked on Ali and Collateral and Miami Vice and, you know, other Michael Mann films and other films as well. Back then, television isn't, isn't what it is today, you know? And I saw my, my opportunity presented itself really in television, working on a, on a TV series with, with Michael Mann on, on an HBO series called Luck. And that's where I started shooting. And, you know, suddenly uh, the opportunities there were in television. And there were great uh, storytelling opportunities in television by that point. You know, this is like post-Sopranos and all of that, you know. And so television became a more, uh, a very interesting medium to to work in. And... You know, I saw that as as an opportunity for me, having um, started uh, in film to bring what I learned in film into television, which was perfect because that's what television was was doing 
then, you know, was incorporating elements from film in terms of story, in terms of taking chances and telling different stories and and breaking breaking a little bit of the boundaries of what television used to be. Um, and um, I, you know, I just decided to, to kind of take that path, if you, if you will, you know. From what I remember of watching Luck, it, it was relatively similar in style to Michael's other films. Was there a difference or was there a conversation about making it look different or was it meant to be a, a longer movie kind of as far as like stylized look? The, the show had the all the elements that you would want for a film, right? It's just basically, I think you just we just looked at it as a longer film. You know, because we had actors of the caliber of Dustin Hoffman and um, um, and Nick Nolte, you know, uh, as our lead characters. You know, these are these are actors that, you know, have done very little, if any, television before. So that already takes you to another level. So it kind of all trickles down from there. And um, I think the approach, Michael's approach, is always it's the same whether it's a film or it's a, or it's a TV pilot or a TV series, you know, um, he brings his vision to it, um, in the same way. Um, you're just expanding it, you know? Um, so, uh, with, with luck, it was, uh, just, uh, uh, a unique story to tell there, you know, the, the world of horse racing and with all the danger and, 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 um, and the, uh, characters that congregate in that, you know, it's almost like a church, you know, I mean, all these different characters congregate there and, and, and are, 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 um, you know, whether it's a trainer or whether it's, uh, you know, hustlers and all of that. And so it was really great, um, kind of, I mean, it was right up Michael's alley in terms of storytelling, you know, is there pressure to feel like you have to know the exact look in the first episode, or is it something where you feel like you can kind of change the look if need be over time working on a series like that? Uh, you try to maintain a style, let's say, um, but every episode presents different challenges and they are always subject to interpretation. So you have the opportunity to expand on a theme. It's almost like music, you know, you or improvisational jazz or something like that, where you, you, you have a theme underlying the, the, the tune, but you can solo once in a while, you know what I mean? And so, um, that's, that I found in, in most TV series that I do, you know, that there's always an opportunity to go off on a riff and try something and, and, uh, and I like those challenges, you know, I like to, to be able to go on a riff and see if it works and, and maybe it doesn't, but at least you tried, you know, and, um, that's, I think probably what I like about 
working on television series now is the the opportunity to always experiment on something and if if it's great then you know you you can stand on it if it doesn't work you can try something else on the next next time around you know you you keep revisiting sets in in series you know you keep coming back to the same sets and always the challenge is okay how can i make this look a little bit different than what we've been doing before you know so um um that's that's i think very attractive to me in the television world what were some of the challenges? Uh, I'm looking at some of the notes here. I know you worked on Snowpiercer and Westworld, which are, are both very uh, different shows, but also kind of move into more of a futuristic lens. Um, what were some of the challenges for those shows? And, and how are you managing you know, to do all this? It seems like you'd be super busy doing all these television shows. Well, yeah, it is. It, it, it's, it's, I've had a, I've had a pretty, uh, I've had a pretty, uh, a pretty long run uh, lately going from one show to another. Um, it's been very busy, luckily. Um, and uh, the challenges, I mean, you know, Westworld and Snowpiercer, I mean, I, I kind of been very, very curious because I was thinking now that I have some time to think um, about the similarities in, in some of the shows that I've done, you know, and I'm, Kind of, there's a kind of a theme there, you know. I did Leftovers, and I did Westworld and Snowpiercer, and they're kind of, in a way, they're all kind of post-apocalyptic kind of scenarios in them, you know. Uh, some kind of a mass, either mass destruction or mass, uh, you know, a massive. Uh, worldwide event of some sort. Um, and just from a visual point of view, um, you know, the, the, the challenges are to present a, because all of them are not really like super futuristic, you know, they're kind of grounded in, in either science or they're kind of grounded in, are, are very proximate to the times we are living, you know? So there's, it's always just to try and modify and try and tweak the reality just enough to, to, to present the uh, dystopia of it, you know, but still grounded in something that people can relate to, you know? Um, you know, you have the, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, issue in Westworld and how that affects our lives. And, and that's taken to a, the next level, you know, in that show. And Snowpiercer deals with climate change and that's taken to the next level. You know, what if, what if, what, what if we messed up the world so bad that we can't live in it? We have to actually live in a train that has to be in perpetual motion for the occupants to survive and they are the last inhabitants of the earth, you know, and so it presents these dilemmas. And in terms of, of the visuals of it, you know, it dictated by, by the, uh, the story, um, you know, Westworld is, 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 you know, a, a, you know, altered reality of, of, 
what we live in now, you know, we, and, and Snowpiercer is a representation of society within a train, you know, and, and so, um, I can speak for the, the visual challenges of it in terms of Snowpiercer, in terms of making the train feel like a character in the show, you know, was, was not easy. It required a lot of moving parts, you know, it's like a puzzle, you know, to make sure that the train feels like it's moving when we're actually on a stage, the entire show is shot on stage, you know, and you got to feel like this train is one piece, one animal, uh, one character in the show. Um, so, um, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was challenging in that respect. There's also a lot of the movies uh, from 2019 kind of had like a, a class warfare uh, vibe to them. And do you find that in movies when you're reading scripts? Like I know famously 1999 was kind of the year of the cubicle. There was the Matrix and Fight Club and uh, American Beauty and all these films. Do you, do you see that? Do you personally gravitate towards a certain genre or is it more about those are the scripts that you're that you're getting the chance to work on? That's a good question because I'm not sure if if you get pinned into a certain type of, <laughs> you know, am I a cinematographer for post-apocalyptic uh, theme <laughs> series? I don't know. It's crazy, but it is a little bit like that. You know, I was also I also did a show called Preacher, which deals with like supernatural and religion and. and so uh, no, I mean I, I don't know. I'm hoping my next show is uh you know a you know family drama or something uh i can chill out on uh but i have to say i do i do like the shows that i work on i mean i i do like shows that have something to say about humanity in general and that's that's kind of i i think a little what we're what i've been doing you know in terms of like the leftovers um dealing with death and grief and, uh, and, a, and a little bit of, uh, religion as well. And preacher definitely dealing with religion, uh, and, uh, Westworld with AI and, you know, Snowpiercer with climate change and, and social, social, uh, warfare, like you were saying, or class warfare. Uh, they're very interesting, you know, they're, they're different, you know, so I probably, you know, if I did get a family drama, I'd probably be there halfway through the show regretting it and saying, oh, I want to go back and do something really deep and intense. <laughs> do you have any, uh, I haven't seen season three of Westworld yet, but I know when the trailer came out, it looked very different. Um, just any, any thoughts or any of those conversations about the kind of the shift in the third season of making it something different and just expanding that world? Well, I, I mean, I think, I think uh, again, you go with the story, right? And so um, you look at you look at season one. It's it's kind of introduces you to the characters and um, sets you up for um, the revolution. In season two, you know the 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 hosts the hosts rebel. They become they they become self aware. You know, and so uh, we know that going into season three, having left off in the end of season two, we know that they're leaving the park that they've escaped. So 
So now it's about showing, showing the real world, you know, showing um, the year, whatever I think is 2050 or some, something like that, you know, so not too distant future. Um, so there were, there were talks about, um, you know, at one point there were talks about, should we continue shooting on film? Should we switch to digital? Uh, now that we're in, in, in the modern world, that was shut, you know, that was, uh, didn't go far, uh, with Joan that loves, loves film and I love film and, and, it, you know, we, we still shot on film. So, so the base was still the same. It was just basically, uh, presenting and opening up the landscape, with the help of, you know, of, of our visual effects department and creating these cityscapes, um, enhanced cityscapes of Los Angeles and all the other locations that we shot in Singapore and in Spain. And, um, you know, opening up the visuals, uh, just inherently, just by doing that, you're already kind of shooting you know, something that's different than what you've done before. You know, you're not, you're not locked in to the, uh, uh, the subterrain of Westworld and all the labs and all of that, or the Western landscapes, you know, now you have modern cities to deal with. And, uh, that, that created a little bit of complications because, you know, you, there's so many things that you have to either take out or erase in VFX or modify or, you know, lights that you have to deal with the color of street lights, you know, and, uh, it, it was, it took a lot of, of, of planning to modify our exteriors, uh, just to make them feel futuristic. So I know you worked with uh, Michael Mann for a while, as you said, and you obviously had a long career. Do you have any advice for those getting into business? Maybe how to, uh, if they get the chance to work with a, a good director, how they can kind of make that relationship work out other than just being great. Any, any other advice that you might have um, for those people? I found, and it's very hard to do nowadays with all the gadgets that we have in our hands with phones and iPhones and stuff like that. I found that paying attention being there, like truly being there and, and listening and learning. I mean, it's a great opportunity. I mean, if you do get the, the privilege, like I had really, I mean, I was lucky to work with somebody like that. Um, you have to grab it and you have to really uh, make the most of it. And by that, I mean, you know, leave your phone in your backpack. Don't bring it to set. Pay attention. Be there. Learn. Look. Listen. Um, and uh, that's going to take you a long way. Uh, I think directors, particularly uh, the vast majority of directors that I work with, you know, and I've also had the opportunity to direct now, so I know what's a little bit of what goes on in terms of uh, director's responsibility, there's a lot of work that you have to do. It's, it's intense. All the, all the puzzle pieces that they have to put together and questions that are asked constantly, they need really, really, and you, you see them, you know, their, their attention is so focused. So you have to be a little bit like that. You have to, you know, 
you know, you have to bring all of yourself into what you're doing and really uh, kind of discover the passion of, you know, or, or the reason why you're there, what you want to do and, 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 and learn from, from, from everybody, not just directors, you know, learn from the production designer, learn from the DP, learn from the camera operator, you know, ask questions. Um, it's a great school. You don't have to go to film school. You can just be on a set and let it be your school, but you have to pay attention. And that is our show. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also check out the new video essay series on YouTube called Creative Principles. And give us a review. That's one of the best ways to help share these interviews. Thanks again.